Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Uh, We are finishing a little mini-series that we started called Sermon on the Mount. It was started last week. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' most famous sermon. It's where he uh, stood up on the top of uh, the Mount of Olives. Uh, It's not that kind of mountain, so it wasn't like a Mount Everest kind of mountain. It was more like a uh, a really big hill that overlooks Jerusalem. Uh, It was called the Mount of Olives, and he was standing there. It actually said he was sitting, and the large crowds came, and then he was talking to them. And what we see uh, is that Jesus kind of gave his some of his most famous teachings. It's almost like his manifesto, if you will. Uh, to who we are as Christians. And so uh, that's what this Sermon on the Mount is. And last week, Pastor Aaron began the series by reading from a famous group of teachings called the Beatitudes. How many of you have heard of the Beatitudes maybe before last week? So the the Beatitudes are a group of teachings that really uh, outline uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I kind of look at it as like it's sort of the DNA of Christians, okay? It's Jesus basically saying the world sees things this way, But if you're going to follow me, you need to see see things this this way. You need to act this way, treat people this way. And so the Beatitudes was a great starting point of learning the core values of someone learning to follow Jesus. And so the big idea of last week that Pastor Aaron said was that when I or we align my lifestyle to be the way that Jesus taught, that I now am the best version of myself for myself, but also for the world around me. In other words, when we align ourselves with the principles and the teachings of Jesus, we become who God meant us to be. And when we become that person, it benefits our life, but it also now has a a resounding uh, effect on the rest of the world around us. And really what Jesus was trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount was he was calling his followers to become a different kind of person, uh, a new kind of person that the world had never seen before. I mean, up till Jesus came, uh, all that the Jewish people had was the law, and it created a certain type of lifestyle, a certain way to live. And, but yet we, they were all still, and even today, we are all still subject to, to our culture and to our, our experiences and our sinful nature that causes us to do the things that we don't want to do, and we hurt the people we love, and all of those kinds of things. And Jesus comes along and he says, let me now call you to something new, to a different way that the world has never seen before. And so he's telling his disciples these things and one that really reflected the true heart of God. When you want to know what Jesus or what God, the Father, is really like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what what, what God thinks about things, listen to Jesus. And so we learned last week that the first step to following Jesus is allowing him to transform us and aligning ourselves with, the, with his principles. And through that process, we become who God created us to be. Now, it doesn't stop there, though. So the sermon then continues after the Beatitudes, and it talks about this idea that Jesus didn't just come for a few people. You know, the tendency is when we meet Jesus, the tendency is to often think and relate it to ourselves. Like, what does this mean for me? And that's good because I think that's normal. It, it, you know, for someone who has been rescued from addiction or from somebody who, who uh, comes from a place of, of deep hurt or pain or loneliness or doesn't understand or is searching for God or searching for something, when they meet Jesus, there's an emotional experience that oftentimes that happens for, for some individuals or, or something clicks in their mind and they go, this makes sense now like it never did before. And in that sense, it's good because it's a very personal thing. 
But Jesus made it clear in his life that he didn't just come for a few people, that Jesus actually cared for the entire world. He came so that the whole world could have a chance to find freedom through him. And so Jesus continues his teaching. And what he's trying to get us to do is expand our vision out from just this small circle that I live in or that you live in and expand it out to see that the people who live around us. He came so that we could not just be uh, experienced that ourselves, but to see other people and to be used by God to make a difference. And so what he does in this next passage is he uses two metaphors that really ex- outline the, the intent that Jesus has for his followers. He says, he says, now that you have learned what it means to be a follower of me, here's the DNA, kind of the list of the code or the, the, the core values that we see in the Beatitudes. Once you start to look like that, you're doing a really good job of becoming like me. And now I want you to turn it outward and see what my intent is for the purpose of why I'm telling you these things. And he uses these two metaphors for his followers, and those two metaphors are salt and light. Salt and light. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's the passage we're going to be reading out of today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles up here at the front or at the Connection Center. Please grab one. This is, this is the source of life. Uh, we believe in this word and we want to live by it because we believe, like we said, that by doing that and aligning ourselves, we become who God created us to be and we can know him. So these are free. Please get one. And also we have these Learning to Follow Jesus books. They're uh, a seven-day guide, like a little devotional about beginning your journey or, or making a fresh start with your journey of faith. Both of these are at their Connection Center. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, Jesus is talking about salt and light. Let's read it today. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. So that's the first metaphor, salt of the earth. And then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father in heaven. So salt and light. I love how Jesus preached. Jesus, Jesus told stories all the time. He was always using analogies and metaphors and, and parables, right? I think that's great. And it, it helps illustrate more than you can necessarily say something. It's like, let me illustrate it for you. And so Jesus does the same thing. He just got done talking about how, how each of us as, as followers of Jesus, he was talking directly to his disciples, but by virtue of who they are and who we are, we know that he's talking to us today too. And so he's saying, I just told you this list of things that are important for you to understand and integrate in your life. And now he uses these metaphors, these images to help you understand his intent for who we are and what we should be doing. And he says salt and light. His desire is for the whole world to come to know him. His desire is for a lost world, a confused world, a hurting world, one that is searching for meaning. We see that everywhere. Some of us might be in the room and we say, well, I don't think my friends are hurting. I don't think they're broken or even confused. But I think most of us would say, I think that almost everyone that we know is searching for meaning. It's so, so crazy of us. Like we look at this solar eclipse that took place last week and it, everyone stood in their tracks, you know? I mean, there were pictures on Facebook of people looking at the sky. It was just so interesting. And 
And, and what that does oftentimes is it makes us feel small. It makes us feel like, what are we here for? Am I significant? And I think we ask those questions, and Jesus is saying, there's a whole world out there that's looking for the answers. And he's saying to us that we're the salt of the, of the earth, and we're the light of the world, and that implies that there is a greater purpose to his salvation. And so he uses the metaphors salt and light in reference to how we should interact with the world around us to bring life. So let's, let's take a look at them a little bit. What does salt mean? What, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, in, in ancient times, particularly during Jesus' time, salt had a very important role. It's important today. Most of us with salt, we just put it on our food. You know, you pick up the, the little shaker and you put it on there and it kind of gives some flavor. So that's one of the things that salt does, and that's true. Um, but there's not a lot of, 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 of benefit to us these days. We don't think of salt as a necessity, but in Jesus' day, Salt was probably one of the most important minerals that existed. It was used to flavor things. It was used to clean things. It was used to preserve things, like they would put it on meat because they didn't have refrigerators. So the meat would have to be covered with salt so that it wouldn't uh, spoil and ferment, right? They would, they would actually clean out wounds with salt. So if someone was injured, part of their medicine would be to, to clean it with, with salt. It added flavor to things. And I, as I was studying this week, I came across a book called Manners and Customs of the Bible by James Freeman. And I wanted to read a quote. This was interesting. I didn't realize this about salt. He says, to eat salt with someone. So that sounds weird. Like, who's eating salt? In other words, like, if I invited you to my house and I, and I put salt on the table or if we put salt on the food, it was clearly an active ingredient in what we were doing. He says, to eat salt with someone was to partake of his or her hospitality. To derive substance from that person, and hence, he who did so was bound to look after his host's interests. Interesting. That salt wasn't just a table condiment. Salt actually was something that, that fostered relationship. That if you offered your salt to me, and I partook in it, partaken, part, whatever, I took some of the salt, now what that meant was that I am, I am now entering into a relationship with you, and I'm saying that your interests are my interests, and I care about what's important to you. Isn't that interesting? Salt. Another thing was that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were these things called covenants of salt. A, a few times in the Old Testament, you would see, I, have I not made a covenant of salt with you? Or was this not a covenant of salt? And that's a little bit different than other covenants. A covenant is like, is an, old, uh, an old-fashioned word, an Old Testament word for a binding contract that cannot be broken, okay, between two people. And oftentimes, God would make a covenant with his people like he did with Abraham, or, he would, or people would make covenants with each other. But a covenant of salt was a special kind that meant there is a perpetual obligation, it meant that, that it's never going to stop. That even if you die, this agreement still goes on between your family. Or perhaps a covenant with God, a covenant of salt between you and God means that, that God will always honor this agreement regardless of what happens to you. So you can see that salt was extremely uh, important in its day, right? And then lastly, this was interesting. Did you know that newborn children were actually rubbed with salt? Did anybody, raise your hand if you knew that. I don't think anybody in here knew that. What? You knew that? That's incredible. I didn't know that, but that's great. That's awesome. So yeah, so newborn babies were actually rubbed with salt, like infants. And I think, why? And the reason was is because they believed the importance of salt so much, they would rub it on the baby's skin to toughen it, to help clean it, and to protect it. Isn't that interesting? So that leads us to this question of what does it mean then? Why, what is the significance of salt? Why did Jesus say, you, my disciples, are the salt of the earth? What was Jesus trying to say? 
I believe that essentially what he was saying was this. Listen, I have called you to season and flavor the world with love. I have called you to clean the wounds of the hurting and the broken. I have called you to preserve truth and goodness and life. I have called you to participate in life with others and to look after their own interests as your own. I've called you to practice hospitality and by doing so reflect a loving creator. And I have called you to this perpetually as a new kind of people representing God's way to the world. This is what we're called to be, salt of the earth. And think of it, now that you know what the importance of salt was and its uses, does that not add such meaning to what Jesus was saying here? He wasn't just simply saying, oh, well, I use salt to flavor, so I should just be kind of flamboyant and make Jesus look attractive. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it is so essential to this world that we need to be cleaning it. We need to be preserving it. We need to be protecting it. We need to be uh, helping it and, and, and providing and getting involved in people's lives to be the salt of the earth. But then, but then he asked this interesting question. He goes, but if salt loses its saltiness or its taste, how can it be made salty again? Well, what do we, and then he says it's good for nothing at that point. It should be trampled under the feet of people. What do we make of that? I mean, Jesus kind of puts it in there. And I would say that's for maybe for a different day or a different conversation. But let's ask this question and maybe leave it here today. Is perhaps what Jesus is trying to say to ourselves, and maybe this is the whole point of, of it in the first place, is let's ask this. If we as the church or if we as Christians are not acting like the salt of the earth that we're called to be, then why are we here? What's the, what's the point? What? Jesus is saying that if it loses its purpose, then it's not good for anything. So I think there's a challenge there for us that Jesus is, is talking about to be the salt of the earth. So then we move on to, to light. So he says, you're the salt of the earth. And he says, but you're also now the light of the world. I mean, this one's a little bit easier. I think most of us understand light, but I still feel like it's important for us to maybe dig in to understand what the passage meant when Jesus was talking to his disciples and to the crowds of people. He said, you are the light of of the world. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, these guys traveled for maybe days at times. Sometimes that, that, that they would follow Jesus into the wilderness. Sometimes uh, they would be gone and they're basically camping. It's like a big festival that, that Jesus is on the stage, if you will. And, and what happens when sundown comes, there aren't any lights. There's no electricity. Like when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, people didn't go light like this light. People looked at the sun or they thought of a candle, or they thought of like oil and a lantern, right? Because they all understood that when the sun went down, that the whole place becomes pitch black. And, and I don't think many of us really know what pitch black is. Um, you know, in the city particularly, there are lights all the time. Even when it's dark outside, you still can find where you're going easily. But there are these places in the wilderness called dark sky parks, and have you ever heard of these dark sky parks? They are national parks set up around the country and around the world where you are so far from what's called light pollution. Isn't that interesting? Uh, from light noise and light pollution that it pollutes the sky. You know, when you look up at the sky at night in Lawrenceville, even when it's a dark night, you really can't see stars very well because it's, the light kind of shines and, and, and resonates off the sky. But in these dark sky parks, you're so far from any actual light that when the sun goes down on a clear night, you can see the stars and you can even see galaxies. It's incredible. I have not been. It's on my bucket list. So imagine that type of a place that Jesus is talking about. And he says, you are the light of the world. He says, you as Christians are the light in the darkness. 
the darkness that it is so dangerous to go out at night. It's impossible not to get lost at night without a light and a lantern. And so when Jesus says in another part, he says, he says that, uh, that, that my word, it's, I think it's in Psalms, he says, my word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's the image of a dark darkness. I can't see anything, but this light is giving me guidance. So what Jesus is really doing here is he is, he is comparing and contrasting what it's like to be in relationship with him and what it's like to live in a world full of darkness. Those who do not have Jesus, those who don't know who God is, those who don't have a relationship with him are living in darkness. They, they can't see anything. They can't make wise decisions. They don't know what's going on because they don't have the guidance and the light of their creator giving them that wisdom in their life. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he tells us, that we are reflecting his light in the world. Because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. So each one of us reflect the light of Jesus. We're like lighthouses. We're like beacons on the top of a lighthouse that, that is calling people to come. That's what the picture that Jesus is painting for us. He says, we're a city on a hill, right? And he says, you are the light of the world, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden he says, and why would you, why would you, nobody lights a candle and puts it, puts it like under a basket, right? Like he says it like cheeky, like, like it's sarcastic, like he, common sense, like of course if you're going to light a light, you're going to put it in the highest spot and you're going to let everybody see it, right? But I think that speaks to us too, because oftentimes we feel like, well, I don't know if I want the light on me. I don't know if I want to be a beacon. I don't know if I want to be a lighthouse. And part of that is, is because sometimes the way that we live our lives doesn't match the way that Jesus is calling us to sometimes. And that's really a problem that we see in our world in general, right? How many people do you know, your friends or family members or coworkers, who don't like church, they don't like Jesus, they don't like Christianity, they might not even like religion at all because in their being and seeing other Christians be the lighthouse, what happens oftentimes, unfortunately, is that they don't represent Christ properly and therefore they don't even like the light. They're saying, forget it, I'd rather crash up on the rocks than go to that lighthouse. And Jesus is saying, you are a light of the world. It's my followers. And that does bring eyes. People watch us. But Jesus is saying, don't shy from that. Put it on the lampstand in the middle of the house and light up the whole room. As Christians, that's what we're called to be. We're called to stand up. That's what our church is called to be, is to be a light in the darkness. And when we go out and we do back to school bash or we do the uh, Easter egg hunt, the big hunt every year, or when we at Christmas time, we do it the, the light up Lawrenceville with the tree and we're just being kind and we're telling people about Jesus. When we go out on our street outreach and we're serving people coffee or water or like we did a few weeks ago in open streets, when we go into the mission field and we share the name of Jesus like we did in Madagascar, or when we go to Greece in October and we, we, we work with Muslims and we, we're talking with them and giving them food and we're showing them in the name of Jesus, we are a light to a world that is broken, that is hurting and is searching desperately for meaning. That's what happens when we, when we become the light, when we allow ourselves to be the light instead of hiding it away. We're giving life to people who are, who are crawling around in the darkness and who have no idea what they're looking for and they're falling off of cliffs and they're running into trees and they're, they're hurting themselves and other people because they don't know where they're going. Jesus says we're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. So salt and light, we're going to wrap up here. Salt, there's two different, so we're going to compare now, contrast salt and light. Salt is in the world, right? Salt is present and it is in the world. It is preserving and it is transforming 
from within. You apply salt to things. So in our life, we are called to live in the world. We are called not to be isolated from other Christians, from other, not, from other non-believers or people who don't know Jesus. We're not called to just all of our friends only to be Christians. We are called to, to do what Jesus did. And he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I mean, you got to be hanging out with people doing, you know, who do some crazy things for a rabbi to be called a drunkard and a glutton. That meant that Jesus was hanging out in our modern day bars or restaurants or going to feasts, right? He was going to food truck roundups. He was going to all of these places that people are known for the excess of their whatever it was. And he was hanging out with them, not necessarily partaking, but what he was doing was he was present in their life and acting as the preserving agent of salt, the cleaning agent of salt. Because all the stories that we love about Jesus, like not throwing the stone at the woman who was caught in adultery, right, those kinds of stories, he wasn't hanging out in the synagogue when those things happened. He was out in the streets and in the villages and in the restaurants and in the homes of people who didn't even know God in a lot of cases. And that's what he's saying to us. Salt is from within, but light is reflecting like a lighthouse guiding back to Jesus. The light comes from outside of this world and we reflect it in. Showing the path to him, that's who we're called to be. So the big idea for this message that links into last week's message and really even the But I Tell You series, because right after this, uh, after this passage is like the five weeks that we had in, in July, that you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. Again, Jesus starts the sermon with, here's what I, my call, I call my followers to be. Here's why I want you to do it. And then he hits these five controversial uh, topics, or more than that, actually. We just condensed them into five. And he, he says these things now. If you act like that because of this and do these things now, controversial, kind of acting different, people will see me. They will see me reflecting through you, and they will want to live that way. That's what he's saying. So the big idea of today's message is this. As I become who Jesus calls me to be, I can then become what the world needs me to be. We cannot be the, the salt of the earth. We cannot be a light in the darkness until we become who God has called us to be. We have to allow him to transform us. We have to allow him to make us different than our neighbors, different than our world, different than our culture. We have to be different. We have to reflect his way and show people with resolute strength and not waver when someone says, why do you love that person who, who just hit you? Why do you give money to the, to, the, to the person who always takes advantage of you? Why do you, like, all of these things that Jesus seems to tell us, the, uh, that seems to go against modern con common sense, when you do that, sometimes we don't know, we're like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be all Jesus-y on. I'm like, you know, but here's the deal is that when we say to that person, I believe that this is the way that Jesus taught me to live. And when I do that, it, it seriously impacts my life. My life is better because I follow Jesus. People might not agree with you. They might even think you're silly or dumb. But that's, that's not the point. The point is, is you cannot be an effective lighthouse. You cannot be an effective salt, preserving, cleaning, protecting agent if you're just going to downplay the thing that has made you who you are. We need to, as I become who Jesus calls me to be, I can then become what the world needs me to be. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, really, I said this in the beginning, is pretty much just a manifesto. It's Jesus casting vision for a new world, for a new kind of people. And he's saying, 
Come and see. Come and join it. Come and try it out. Live this way and watch how it impacts you. And he's calling us to now take this manifesto on our lives, to take on his way of life, take on his teachings, his mission, and his heart for the rest of the world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your words. You are incredible. So many of the things that you say sound like they are like they are contradictory to everything that we know. And yet, we have experienced something that we cannot find anywhere else. We are all sitting in this room today because we're either searching for or have experienced something we can't get anywhere else. Would you help us to live like salt of the earth? Help us to see ourselves as called, not just to be saved, but to now be a part of the rescue mission to the rest of the world. To see our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and those that we, we see in our city and our families and anybody else, that they need the preservation, they need the cleaning, and they need the, the protection of the salt that you provide in our lives. Help us to see ourselves as light, of beacons. Let us not be ashamed of what you have given us. Let us reflect you accurately in our workplaces and in our homes and in our, our backyards. Let us be a, such a bright light as a church in a dark place, but also in individual lives. Let us help us, strengthen us to be the light that dispels the darkness wherever we go. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Hey, why don't you guys stand up and stretch for a second? I'm not going to take too much longer, but I want to go ahead and I told you that we have a, a really big announcement to make. and I'm super excited, but go ahead and stretch, you know, maybe give a high five to a neighbor. Yeah, I like it. All right, you can go ahead and grab a seat. That was good, wasn't it? It's like the seventh inning stretch here. I always thought it was funny that they do the seventh inning stretch at the end of the serve, at the end of the game. I'm like, well, man, I was, my back's been hurting since inning four. And, you know, so it's like, can't you just wait another inning and a half to be done with this thing? But all right. So we just finished this message about salt and light and about what the purpose of a church is and the purpose of Christian lives. Right. And everything that we do as a church is geared around that idea of encountering God in real life. But we make decisions the same way as a church that we, that we want to do in our lives. You know, I want to make decisions about the job that I have personally. I want to make decisions about the way I spend my money, the way I relate to my wife or to my neighbor or to my kids. You know what I mean? Like, I want to make decisions based on what I see in God's Word and what He teaches. And as a leader of our church, I want our church to make decisions about the same kinds of things. How we relate to our community, how we talk on a Sunday morning, how we reach out to our world, the places that we go, the way we spend our money. I want all of those things to be made in light of the same, the principles of God. And so in light of what Jesus just said about salt and light and how we are to reach this world, I remember I told you back in the early part of this year, maybe in January and then again at our at our, um, our anniversary service, that I felt like God has been sharing an, uh, an expansion of the vision that God gave us for this church. For in the beginning, we started this church to reach the, the community of Lawrenceville, and we have done that, and we have been involved, and we have great relationships in this community. And early on in the, in the year, I felt so strongly that God said, I want you to expand the vision that, God, that I have for this city to include the East End. And we talked about it. How many of you guys remember when I said that? That I felt like God was saying that we're not just called to reach the people of this community, but there are people in Shadyside or in Bloomfield or in Squirrel Hill or in Garfield or Highland Park or wherever in the East End. And so we began praying. 
we began saying, okay, God, what does that look like? And so in our street ministry, what have we done? We began uh, going into different neighborhoods to, to hand out the coffee and to tell people about Jesus. We began a building search because we felt like, wow, this location has been really great for us. We've been here over two years now. It's also small, and we're outgrowing it. I mean, some of you guys, even in the room right now, are like, I'm a little cramped. Like, I don't like sitting only two feet from the next person next to me, if it, even if there's a chair in the middle. Our children's ministry only has one small room to go into, and, and because of the timing, on the movie theater, we don't have the ability to really mingle. And the things that we care so deeply about in this community or in this church is, is relationships with each other, right? I mean, almost everybody in the room has a relationship with somebody here because that's who we are. We believe that, that our faith is to be lived out in, in deep, like authentic relationships with people. And so we've been searching, God, show us what you want. Do you want us to stay here in Lawrenceville? Do you, do you have a place for us elsewhere? What about this vision that you gave us to, to reach the rest of the community of, of the East End? What does that mean? And how do we do that? And so we, as a board and as a leadership team, we began just looking. We started looking for places to rent, and there was nothing opening up. And then we started looking at spaces like um, maybe leasing a, a building or even potentially trying to purchase a building. And, and we were kind of seeing things, and none of those really worked out. And so we took a step back as a team. We said, God, what are you doing? You told us it's time to go. You told us it's time to move into the next chapter, to reach more people in this city. But, but you're not opening the, the doors. And what we really found was that we felt like God was telling us that it was time for us to reevaluate our finances. And so what we did as a board is we went back to the drawing board and we rebuilt our church budget, our annual budget from the ground up to make the priorities on the things that are the most important, to make sure that we have the money to spend on outreach and to make sure that our children's ministry is, is staffed properly and, and all of these different things. And we wanted to make sure that we were positioning ourselves in strength for rent and doing it in the right proportions of how we would spend money so that we will always be serving our community from a position of strength. We never wanted to over-indebt ourselves. We never want to, to do something that's unwise and all of a sudden, oh, sorry guys, we can't pay our bills, we can't have church next Sunday, right? That's not what we want. And so in that process, God is so faithful. And when we, it was almost as if he was just waiting for us to follow him across that line. And once we did, the doors to a new location for Encounter Church has opened up. And this is a big deal. This is a big step. This is a landmark day for us because for the first time in our over three-year history as a public entity and even longer than that as a group of people just learning to become what it means to be a church. We've always been in Lawrenceville. And for the first time on October 1st, we will be moving just across the little border into uh, a place called the Neighborhood Academy, which is in Garfield. And it looks just like this. This is a faith-based private school that uh, works, and I love this, it works with, with families particularly who are underprivileged who don't have money to send their kids to, to uh, you know, private schools. It is all free for the families who go there. They provide meals for them. They provide um, uh, places for them to, to they, they bust them in and out. They're there a long time and now their siblings can come. Um, it's, it's a wonderful place. And they have a chapel. Get that, a chapel right in the middle of this, in the middle of this building that seats 150 people. Like it's this beautiful space. It has some stained glass on the, on the walls on the one side. It's, it's really great, and it has classroom space. It's beautiful. It has a parking lot, and it's right in the middle of the residential section right between Lawrenceville and Stanton Heights and Garfield and Highland Park and Bloomfield. All of them in friendship are all surrounding this one space, and I think to myself, because I, the same question that you might be asking yourself, but what about Lawrenceville? I thought we were, I thought we were called to Lawrenceville. Well, I would say to you, we are called to Lawrenceville, and we still are because God has called us to reach the east end of Pittsburgh. 
And so I think about that. I'm like, God, this vision that you gave me and that you've given our church to reach the east end, what does that mean? And I feel like now I look back and I look over at this new space that God has provided for us that is within our budget that allows us to have the time again to be able to before and after service just welcome and mingle and get to know each other. We're going to bring back food day, everybody. We're going to be able to have a place to have meetings on Sunday afternoon if we need to, training, get people connected. All of the things that we have been unable to do here because of the size and the scope and the nature of it, right? And I think about what God has said to us. He said, I want to reach not just these people, right? The message we said he wants to reach the whole world. In our world, and what he's translating to us is, I did not just come so that a few people in Lawrenceville, I came for the entire East End. I came so that you who have received something powerful, who have found hope, who have found life, who found truth at this church would now take it and turn it outward to reach the communities that you live in and the other people who need hope. And in Garfield or in, or in Stanton Heights or in Bloomfield or in Lawrenceville, bringing a light to the darkness and to those places and a nexus of all of these little neighborhoods. I love it. I love it. And so I'm so excited. I'm so excited. On October 1st will be our very first Sunday in this building. So all throughout the month of September, we will be here, and then we will be moving to the Neighborhood Academy, and you'll hear more about it. We'll tell you more about it. I think we're going to make a little video to kind of show you how to get there and kind of show you the building if we can and just different things. We are so excited. Our board is excited. Our ministry staff is excited. Your pastor is excited. I believe that this is an answer to months of prayer months of prayer. God, show us the way. Open the door. Tell us what to do. Tell us where to go. Make it so clear. And I'm telling you guys, the relationship that we have with the school administrators and and the, the amount that they're charging us and the facilities that are available and the access that we have is beautiful. It's, it's so clear that God just, just made the way straight. I know you're going to love it. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be great. And so I'm excited. We'll tell you more about it as it comes up, but let's all stand together as we close out our service today. And if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about it. Any of our leadership team would love to talk to you about it. Um, I I just want to be super clear. We're not leaving anybody behind, okay? We're not leaving anybody behind. We are moving and following Jesus as he reaches this city. And Lawrenceville is still a part of this vision. We are still reaching this neighborhood. We're just adding to what God has called us to do. So let's pray together. And I, I would ask each of you to just to just join me in prayer, like linking your heart in this moment to the vision that God has given this church and for this city. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you are not a statue somewhere that does nothing. Thank you that you sent your son, that you are personal, that we can know you, we can experience you. I thank you that you care about this city more than we could ever could. I thank you that you rescued me and every person in this room. And I thank you that it's not conditional. I thank you that when we screw up, that when we fail, when we make mistakes, that you are, you are still graceful and faithful to us. So now, God, we ask that you would help us to see what you have called this church to. I ask that you would help each one of us to join in on the mission of being salt of the earth, light to this world, and doing it from a new space that you have provided. We thank you that you have provided. We thank you that you've opened the door, and we say yes. We, we just, as a body, we say yes to what you are doing. We don't necessarily know all the things. We don't know what it's going to look like all the time. But we say yes to you. We follow you. And we will do whatever it takes to reach this city and to become a closer and more, more, more like Christ's disciple. Uh, thank you for it, God. And in the days to come, I pray you will build excitement around this city for what you are doing in this church. 
Uh, guide every one of us as we leave here today. Um, let us just have a great time, whether at lunch or wherever we go and throughout the week at life groups and all sorts of things. We thank you that you are a personal, present God. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.